USA, the chant echoed across Lambeau Field last night as the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears stood for the national anthem before their game in the NFL. Nobody on either team kneeled in protest. Members of both teams did stand with linked arms and called on fans to do the same. Protests in the NFL against police brutality did capture Americans' attention this week. And all week long, we've been getting different perspectives on speech and patriotism here in America. We have a view now from one American whose idea of patriotism and American exceptionalism radically changed once she left the country. Author and journalist Susie Hansen set up shop in Turkey when she started working as a foreign correspondent. She covered some of the strident nationalism that drives Turkish politics and then realized that what we call nationalism in Turkey wasn't so different from what Americans call patriotism in their everyday lives. She wrote about it in the book Notes on a Foreign Country, an American Abroad in a Post-American World. The problem is that a lot of that patriotism, a lot of that nationalism was founded at a time when, of course, parts of the population were not included in it. That the very myth that, you know, this is a uniquely free country, that it is a unique country, that it is the promised land was being formed at the time uh, when, you know, thousands of people were still enslaved. But I think what's interesting about it is why do we tend to not see this as a form of nationalism, as a kind of more pernicious force rather than an exclusive force, one that is, you know, might be defined according to some people as something that only maybe white people in the country own or certain groups own and certain groups do not, that it can also be used in an exclusive way and not an inclusive way. What about the parts of American nationalism or patriotism that have served this country well. I mean, it's not one thing. And a lot of people, when they think about their pride in America or they think about their nationalism, say that it's not just a militaristic, um, sort of aggressively outward thing, but it keeps us bound together. Well, I think that's true. And I think that's true for all countries. And so there is definitely truth to that. But I think that, and I think that you see now, you see a lot of people who are very heartbroken by what's going on in the U.S., the sort of, you know, the Trump voters versus um, liberals, this this anger, this this sort of violent rhetoric. I think a lot of liberals for the first time are starting to question, you know, I'm hearing people say things like, well, I I didn't realize how much I believed in American exceptionalism, how much I believed that we were special, that we were not, such things could not happen in our country. Um, I think that there is this sense that we didn't understand what happened to us, what went wrong here. And that partially, you know, that is because we've been ignorant of not only, I think, a lot of our domestic history, but our foreign policy history, which I think is one of the biggest problems. We do not tend to think of ourselves as part of an empire, and we can wrestle with whether that word is accurate or not. But we have never reckoned with what those policies have meant for others. And I think to a large degree, we don't even know the details. And I wonder how much of this about Americans, and I think a lot of what you're saying is true, I wonder how much of this is inevitable for some of us. I mean, we live in a country isolated by two oceans, a hegemonic power, number one economically, militarily strong, exercising our power in a form of empire. There's no question about it. When that's the dynamic, uh, human nature is not to sit down and absorb the rest of the world. I mean, it makes a certain degree of sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. But we have to consider ways that that it's possible that the United States government after World War II and at the beginning of the Cold War actually designed our worldview so that we wouldn't consider them. The Cold War architects, a lot of the intellectuals at the time, were sort of saying, we are the end of the evolutionary spectrum. We are the great modern nation. 
fashion. Everybody wants to be like us. We should go out and help them be like us. And and um, we're not going to say that this is an empire. We're not going to call this colonialism. We're not going to go occupy them. We know that, that we can't do that because, you know, that's out of fashion. We're going to call it something else. And this was modernization, essentially. They, they kind of presented it, I think, as if this was just reality and, and as if the, there was a global consensus that the that everybody wanted to or aspired to be um, a sort of, you know, this liberal capitalist society like the United States. I believe we probably need a reconsideration of American history since 1945 in the same way that the Germans did. I think the Germans are the only ones who sort of reckoned with the failures of a former empire. I don't think the Brits have done it. I don't think the French have done it. But I think that the United States may want to have a national reckoning with this history or they're going to continue to make the same mistakes that they have had. And I do think that this is, to a large degree, it's not the responsibility of the 50 million people living in poverty in America who've been suffering from these same policies as as everybody else. It's the responsibility of the elites. And I am as critical of conservatives as I am of liberal elite institutions. Well, here's a small reckoning on the domestic scene, not the international scene. Um, in the last couple of weeks, a football player called Colin Kaepernick and other football players kneeling during one of the most important pieces of symbology of nationalism and patriotism in this country, the national anthem, during an NFL football game. And that was a little piece of reckoning that a lot of people fought back against pretty quickly and pretty hard. Yeah, and and I think that that was also they fought back because they were encouraged to do that by the rhetoric of the president. You know, of course, people are going to be afraid by by gestures like that, but it is an opportunity to have a deeper and a better conversation. The people who do that, who are kneeling, I think, are quite brave. The question is, why aren't the people who get so angry when they see that? Why aren't they curious about their experience? Maybe something happened to these people that the angry nationalistic people don't understand. There is. There is something going on right now that is the beginning of this confrontation. I think that we're just seeing the beginning of something that could be quite an ugly one. But I have, I do believe at the same time, and I am very optimistic, that in a lot of ways we, we needed to have this confrontation before we can generate some new ideas about where we should be going with our self-conception, with our idea of American identity. And I do have some faith that we'll figure it out. I just think it might take a while. America is wrestling with protest, patriotism, and nationalism. Susie Hansen is one journalist who's observed these American phenomena from outside the country. It's all part of her book, Notes on a Foreign Country and American Abroad in a Post-American World. Susie Hansen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. (laughs) Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.